Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Behind the Scenes of Happiness. I'm your host, Christoph Spiesens. In this episode, I chat with author, trainer and coach Pete Mosley about self-promotion for quiet souls, such as shy people, creatives and introverts. Pete has been helping people find their confidence for many years and his book, The Art of Shouting Quietly, has been sold in more than 30 countries. Enjoy. Pete, a very warm welcome to Behind the Scenes of Happiness. It is very good to have you on the show today. How are you? Uh, Very well. It's nice to be here. And I want to start with a rather bold statement I found on the homepage of your website, Pete, and it goes as follows. Often, it's not the quality of our work that holds us back. It's the quality of our courage and ambition. Be bold and aim high. And that's taken from one of your books, The Art of Shouting Quietly. And I think it's a good statement that actually will set the scene for the rest of our conversation, because really... This is what it's all about for more reflective and introverted givers of the world, isn't it? They produce very good quality, but they are not necessarily brilliant at selling themselves. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that statement came out of years and years of observation of working with people, predominantly folk that were running their own small businesses or who had some kind of freelance practice or creative practice. And just noticing how brilliant a lot of them were at what they did, uh, uh, and conversely, how t- terrible they were at being able to stick their head above the parapet and let the world know what they were doing and be visible in a way that could actually get them the connections that they needed to to thrive and survive. And I feel that very strongly. There's a whole band of people out there who who are that way, who are brilliant, but but really need a hand to get the visibility they need and need to understand how to connect with people and draw them towards them without doing anything uh, ugly in the way of selling themselves or marketing or barking at people or having to shout loudly about what they do. So in your opinion, Pete, where does this lack of confidence in connecting with people come from? Can you put your finger on that? Or is it, is it so different from person to person that it can't be just, you know, boxed in like that? Uh, well, I think you're right. It can't be boxed in because confidence isn't a continuum between I am not confident, I am supremely confident. It's not a straight line. We all pop up in different places in our life with confidence. Uh, and similarly, our lack of confidence, it, it's not a standard thing. It can come from shyness, it can come from introversion, mm-hmm. but it can come from lots of other kind of life events or things to do with the way that we were brought up or expected to behave as a child that kind of mould us in a way that we're not, we're not out there in quite as vibrant a way as other people are. Mm-hmm. And your work revolves entirely around helping people to grow in confidence and you extend your support by means of masterclasses, you run workshops, you have, you do talks. One of them is the very popular TEDx talk that you delivered in Derby. What do you find seems to resonate the most with people as a common denominator across all of your platforms? 
I think one of the things that resonates is people aspiring to be authentic mm. without really understanding what that means and struggling maybe to behave in authentic ways and do things that they think will make them authentic without realizing that authenticity is actually not something that you can create that easily, but it's bestowed on you by other people in recognition of the consistency and usefulness and kind of integrity of your behavior over time. Mm -hmm. Is there such a thing as trying too hard to be authentic? <laughs> I think there is. I mean, if you look on, uh, I mean, LinkedIn is a, a platform that I use an awful lot. And since LinkedIn started promoting the video facility where mm -hmm. folk can put up live a live or recorded video, there's been a whole rash of people kind of really striving to be their authentic selves and deliver stuff that's around the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, not quite hitting the mark, either by undercooking or overcooking it. And, and there's a huge amount of oversharing. I think there's a belief at the moment that if you if you show all your vulnerability, then that somehow that creates authenticity. That's true to an extent, but too many people kind of get the pitch wrong. I think it needs to be thought about, and it needs to be thought about in careful consideration of your values as well. So you do get the message tuned properly. Uh, um, if you tune it properly, it's easier to pitch it properly. Mm. So it's all about striking a balance between showing up authentically and yet not doing damage to your personal brand, I suppose. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And you mentioned, you, you mentioned a very important word there that I would like to explore with you a little bit further, Pete, values. Are values helpful when it comes to drawing the line between where am I being authentic and where am I trying too hard, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, in truth, a lot of people know they have some values Mm -hmm. And they could easily categorize them as either family values or religious values or, or the kind of day-to-day -day values that come into conversation. But very few people have actually done a lot of work around thinking hard around their values, identifying the values that really resonate with them and digging at a deeper level into the values that they have a strong emotional connection with. Because it's only once you dig deep and you can categorize them and identify your values on that level that you can begin to play them out in normal life, day-to-day -day life rather. Um, it's one thing to identify your values and give them a name. It's another to enact your values in your life and work. I think there's a third deeper layer of, of being at one with your values to the extent to which you embody them. And you mm -hmm. see that in top class public speakers and in folk that, that come across as having a huge amount of passion about what they do, irrespective of whether they're a loud or a quiet person. So how do we go about identifying our values? Well, I mean, the traditional route to that, uh, unless you're doing a coaching course or something like that, which will help you with that process, is to use values exercises or values cards where mm -hmm. you'll get a list of values and you're encouraged to identify, you know, a, a bundle of 10 and then narrow it down to three and then spend a little bit of time elaborating on those three that you've chosen. Mm -hmm. And those those three might be single words like, you know, courage and compassion and authenticity, and you're working around that. 
But in truth, you know, values that, that are deeply held are sem seldom to do with single words. They're to do the things that really, really matter to mm -hmm. us as human beings. And I don't think you can define those in single word terms. Mm. They're merely pointers, I, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And on your own journey, Pete, have you had to practice, you know, with hindsight, practice what you're currently helping other people with? Have you experienced shyness and for yourself in the past and how did you overcome that yeah i mean i i am still quite a shy person although i speak in front of large groups of people and i run workshops mm. and do training sessions um, i for some reason uh, that's a place where i can operate uh, really well but in other situations you're in quiet social situations or dinner parties i'm i'm a very quiet quite shy animal how do you overcome it? I think the, the ability to speak in front of groups of people, it comes in incrementally as you practice mm -hmm. it. You, it's mm -hmm. like getting used to a fear of spiders. You start by holding a small one <laughs> and then progress to slightly mm -hmm. larger and larger ones until you, you don't never get rid of the fear. But what you do is you become a, a friends with it. You know, you, you get used to the physical sensations and emotions and the discomfort that comes mm -hmm. with moving into that kind of stretch zone really and once you become familiar with those fears it's much easier then to do what it is that you're really there right. to do it's not the presentation or the talk or the the public speaking really that's the scary thing it's often the fear of the physical sensations uh, mm -hmm. that come with it and it's sharing like you're doing now that actually makes you a very authentic and therefore credible teacher so you're walking yeah. the talk in that regard as well, which is very powerful and inspirational. Thank you. So with regards to values, is there something that you would like to add to the mix here, Pete? Yeah, I think the, the process of identifying some clear values, ones that you really feel emotionally connected to, is that you can then understand the beginnings of the personal story that you need to tell. Uh, an exercise I often do with, with students and participants in the group is to say, well, find those three values and then simply write a paragraph about each of them. And in writing that paragraph, you'll begin to get some text and some ideas that other people will resonate with and they'll resonate with it because they recognize those values in themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the trick to connecting with people without selling, is you present a set of values in the story that you're presenting that other people will recognize and empathize with, and that they'll want to know more at that point. Mm. You, you put the values out there, you get the empathy, and then you begin to get that kind of, you know what, that person's a bit like me. The, the <laughs> things they're expressing are things that I recognize in myself. I, I want to know more. And therefore, that kind of empathy leads to a bit of trust and a desire to find out more about what you do. And then you're actually on the first steps of building a relationship with somebody. It's much more valuable to build a relationship with somebody than to try and sell something to mm, them. Totally. And it's a materially different thing to do. And it's a much more enjoyable experience. And trying to constantly invite, you know, invent adverts or posts or content about yourself mm. and your product. So by sharing your values, you enable strong foundations on which a future yeah. collaboration can be built, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
the other thing is, you know, when you start talking about your values, they matter to you. So you become more animated. Your, your values are the energy behind your goals. Your values are mm-hmm. things that drive you along. So you're no longer talking in, in a void. You're talking about the things that really matter. And you tend to come a little bit more alive when you're doing that. Uh, and that kind of aliveness, the switched onness that comes with that is also something that attracts people towards you. And we need to allow for flexibility when it comes to values, as in can they change and should they change as we go through life based on experience and new experiences? Yeah, I mean, this is the, 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 we begin to acquire values by a process of osmosis at a really, really young age. I mean, mm. according to transactional analysis, we've acquired most of our set of values by the age of around about eight. And then as we move through life um, into adolescence, we, we maybe, you know, we step out of, of the zone of parental and family values into trying to find an identity for ourselves and, and adopting some different kind of cultural values that, that give us a, a feeling of difference. And then as we move into the workplace, we begin to absorb workplace values and all that goes with that. And, and values shift and change throughout our lives. And some of that happens on a conscious level, but others, uh, there's more unconscious values and beliefs that we adopt very early in life, stay with us under the surface, mm-hmm. and they're there for good or bad, actually, uh, until such point as we begin to dig them up and reevaluate them later in life, maybe. I'd like to talk a little bit about the quiet time that so many of our peers need in order to produce quality content. Mm. And yet that sits in direct contrast with going out there and promoting that content, be that at a networking event or a presentation or a workshop or promoting the book that they've just written what are some useful tips that you can share with our listeners with regards to revving up, so to speak, between going from a very intense, not, I was going to say downtime, it's not a downtime period, it's a very creative time, but from a more solitary period to a very public event, such as a gig, how can one best prepare for that in your opinion? Yeah, I, I mean, the truth of it is you can't do one without the other, the downtime and the recharging and the mm. moving yourself away from the distractions of everyday life is what gives quieter people the energy that they need to get out and do the other stuff. And it may be that they do that thing for 35 or 40 minutes at a public talk and then can feel quite exhausted, actually, mm. and need to go away and recharge again. Einstein uh, used to get his best ideas by going out and lying in the sun in a cornfield and he'd lie in the sun on his back Mm -hmm. and rest almost to the point of falling asleep and just at the point where he was falling asleep his kind of gateway between subconscious Uh and conscious opens Mm -hmm. up a little bit and all the best ideas that you've been chewing on and thinking around tend to float up to the surface. Mm. It's that classic thing about either at the point of falling asleep or waking up discovering that you just Uh had a brilliant idea and needing Mm. to rush off and get a notepad to write it down. And it's very true that you need to get into a very relaxed, quiet state in in order to get and capture your best ideas, Mm. but also to recharge and prepare for the next time that you go out and engage with people uh, and use up that energy. Mm -hmm. 
Why do you think that so many creative people who bring so much interesting content and useful content into the world are introverted by nature? Is there like a clear-cut reason behind this, in your opinion? I don't know if there is any single clear-cut relationship between creativity and quietness and introversion. All I know is that there's a strong correlation there. What the reasons are, I think, are manifold. I mean, there's lots of books been written over the years that relate creativity to a degree of kind of mental upheaval mm. that relate creativity to other kind of non-neurotypical states, mm -hmm. a many, many different viewpoints on it. And I think there's truth in all of them. Um, when, you know, I do a lot of work with quiet people, but I need to always emphasize that quietness is, is not just to do with introversion. It's also mm. to do with a huge number of different types of life events that can push quietness into you, like illness or pain or disruption or trauma or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and behind a lot of creative people, there are elements of that as well. So I, I don't think, uh, I don't feel easy about being drawn into generalizing mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. what drives creativity. Mm -hmm. And someone's got to do the listening, right? There has to be, <laughs> there has to be introverts. Um, yeah. Otherwise, who would do the listening? Because very often, shy people, introverted people, whatever we want to um, name them, so to speak, get a, a potentially a bad rap. But actually, yeah. they play an instrumental role in society. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a huge proportion of society. It's about 40, 45 percent, mm. really. If if you take it on the continuum model, it splits roughly that way, which is a huge, huge amount of, of the general population at large. Mm. And the writer, Susan Cain, who produced the book mm -hmm. Quiet, The Power of Introverts in the World That Can't Stop Talking, really hit the nail on the head with that book and made people realize right through the whole of, of kind of society and especially in commercial settings that they were missing a huge amount of capital that was sitting there mm -hmm. dormant in well not dormant sitting in the minds of all the quieter people who weren't speaking up at meetings and who found themselves kind of overwhelmed by the louder voices mm -hmm. and she's created a global movement around recognizing that and giving introverts space to speak and it, it's a, it's a powerful thing to witness what happens when a quieter person gets a chance to to speak up but it does take awareness and giving people the tools with regards to how to make yeah. an introvert come out of their shell so to speak because I, I recall when i was still in in the corporate world as an employee sometimes people would think i was bored or boring even yeah. or because i was quiet well yes i was quiet because i was listening to what was being said and as an introvert i, I i'm an extroverted introvert even today when I'm quiet, that doesn't mean I'm not listening to you. I'm actually listening to you on many different levels. It's just not yeah. the words. You listen to energy. You listen to what's not yeah. being said. You listen to yeah. all sorts of things. And sometimes, well, actually more and more often, I share with people exactly why I'm quiet. Mm. Because it helps them understand what's going on. And I feel that yeah. that's, often, that's enough to actually reassure them. I suppose is, is the right word because they think, yeah. oh, you're quiet. Am I not communicating loud enough or hard enough or fast enough? Which actually then makes yeah. them talk even faster and yeah. potentially makes me go into my shell even more.
So it does take awareness. Is that something that you resonate with? Well, I mean, I teach on a postgraduate coaching course mm. um, run by a company called Barefoot Coaching. Mm -hmm. It's accredited by the International Coaching Federation. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest tasks on the coaching course is persuading people of the power of listening with the intent to understand rather than to solve mm -hmm. problems or think about the next contribution to the conversation. And it, it is, it's a huge struggle and one that's difficult to maintain even once you've done all the training, a remembering to be present is an ongoing struggle. Mm. But once you manage to find the space and you can be present, then that's a valuable thing. So we have a lot of people from the HR sector listening to this podcast. Mm. Mm. Is there one tool or tip that you can share with them about how to be there more for introverts and how to give introverts more space during meetings? Well, I think that's the interesting thing. Do you have to give them the space during the meeting? There's two ways of looking at it. One is you restructure the meeting rules mm -hmm. to allow for that using some of the perhaps Nancy Klein's tools for the thinking environment. Or you give introverts and quiet people a chance to feedback and contribute mm -hmm. in a different way. Some companies say to quiet people, give your feedback via email or in person after the meeting mm -hmm. or go away and have a think about it and come up with a kind of structured suggestion that you want mm -hmm. to make and input that by email and then at the next meeting somebody will introduce that topic on your behalf and then the strain of having to introduce it yourself um, goes away and somebody else can help you facilitate the conversation around that. There, there are masses of tactics out there yeah. for doing that that are really useful and that do work. It just takes the courage to break the habit of having meetings where the loudest voices win the time. Absolutely. The courage and the respect towards your more introverted team members. And yeah. when they know that the alternative options are available to them, they will relax into those team meetings yeah. in a different way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, Pete... I always say this on every podcast. The title of the podcast is Behind the Scenes of Happiness. So I am going to ask if you're willing to share an example of a time where you yourself get, you know, you're, you're overcome by potential nerves or you're, you're anxious about an upcoming presentation or a talk. Is that something that you can share with our listeners? How do you go about managing those stress levels? Yeah, I mean, it, it, to be honest, it still happens. It happens almost every time, uh, mm -hmm. even more so if I'm in an unfamiliar situation or with an unfamiliar audience. But I think the fear is more likely to overwhelm you or you're more likely to lose the place if you haven't prepared well enough. And I think using visualization or mental rehearsal as a tool is incredibly powerful. So you can think about it on the level of how a sports person would approach this. Somebody who rides the Tour de France doesn't jump on their bike and ride the Tour de France track for the very first time at the point of the race. They've ridden around the track many, many times and they've got used to it all. And they've identified all the twists and turns and potholes and steep hills. So when they come to ride the race, their brain isn't occupied by solving those problems and digging for that information the brain can be focused on the energy that they need mm -hmm. to complete the race so if you think about that in terms of a public talk 
it's often useful just to to gather as much information about the audience and, and mm -hmm. the venue, even down to where PowerPoints are and where you can get some water and look after your personal comfort in advance. And then to sit in a quiet place and mentally fly through the whole procedure. And I'll often do that from getting in my car and visualizing mm -hmm. the journey and arriving and visualizing meeting the host and getting into the room and getting set up and making sure the sight lines are right and the visuals are right and above all that the technology is working. Uh, and then once I've done that, I, I can feel a, a more of a sense of calm mm. in that I've mentally solved all those technical physical problems and I can begin to focus on the energy that's required for the delivery and the nuance that needs to go into that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. It's, um, it's hugely helpful and it's true, isn't it? The brain will try everything it can to warn us for potential dangers. Yeah. And so if you, you humor the brain and you actually say, hey, knock yourself out, this is a list of everything that could go wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been able to do its thing and, and it can relax a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people connect with you, Pete, if they want to explore working with you? Two main places of connection for me are Twitter at Pete Mosley and on LinkedIn. I have my own website, which is PeteMosley.com. If people want to read more around some of these ideas, I, I write a regular piece on Psychology's magazine, Life Labs, which is on the main Psychology's magazine website. So there's a number of different ways to either read more or connect with what I'm doing. And I'm very happy for people to join me in any of those places. And your TEDx talk, Cheeky Letters and Dream Lists is also available <laughs> yes. on your website. Yes, or, or if you just Google that title uh -huh. of my, my name, you'll find that. Pete, in closing, thank you for reassuring us that there is a huge place and a very important place for introverted and reflective and shy people in this world and that they bring a lot of value to the world and that they deserve to step up and step out. Thank you for the work that you're doing to help those people to embrace their bigger, you know, their bigger role. It's very much yeah. needed. So thank you for that. It's been a real pleasure talking to you this morning. Thank you ever so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Pete. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. For more podcasts and information about upcoming events such as Mindful Manager in Manchester on the 26th of March, please visit christophspeasons.com. That's it for now. I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Bye for now.